When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey there, and welcome to When in Romance, where we get to talk about romance novels, romance people, romance things, all the romance. I am Jess. And I'm Trisha. And we are recording on Thursday, April 28th, 2022. Uh Nice. You got there. You got there. (laughs) It's only April. It's the end of April. Eventually, I'll figure it out. (laughs) You still have, like... Solidly two thirds of the year. There we to go. Put it together. There we go. You're good. How are you, Jess? I'm I'm doing it right. It is not as hot today as it has been, so that's exciting. Yeah, we are now in the era of when romance, where I live um, in the northwest corner of the northwest state of the 48, you know, states that are not Alaska and Hawaii. Contiguous, continental. I don't remember what we call them. It doesn't matter. Point is, <laughs> it's 53 degrees here, and that is about as hot as it's been all week. So, uh, so different. It wasn't even 50 degrees when I left for work this morning. (laughs) Oh, wow. Look at you. Just having to dress in layers and whatnot. Uh, all right. Well, we have a bunch of stuff to do, so we will hop into it. Hopefully we can get this done before you need to turn your air conditioning back on or possibly your heat. We don't know. Yeah. But quick reminder to everyone Hooray, this is very exciting. I actually have heard some excitement from some folks. Uh, Shout out to Becky. Um, We are reading The Beast by Katie Robert as our next book club book. Everybody should know it is a menage erotic romance, which means it will be very high on the heat level. And we're going to be talking about it on June 23rd. So you've got plenty of time. Um, I think that's like eight weeks from now. So you have all kinds of time. Get it from your library. Get it from the bookstore get it from wherever it is a beauty and the beast retelling yeah and it is part of a series and if you want you have time to read the first what two two three books in the series if you really want to yeah are they all independent they're independent but you know they're they're like some romance series where people exist in the series either before they get their own story or going forward so Ah. You will hear about other people in the series in this book, probably. And if you start at the beginning, you will hear about at least one of these characters. I can't remember. I haven't actually read them yet myself. Um, But I've heard a lot about it, and I've been meaning to forever. So you might hear me talking about the first one at some point soon. All right. We'll look forward to it. But speaking of books that we might hear you talking about, Jess, we have decided that we're going to start talking a little bit about what we are reading. And we're going to kick the show off that way today. What, Jessica Pride, are you reading? Well, I started this book before it came out in the hopes that I would be done and excited to scream about it by the time it did come out. And that didn't happen. And that book is Tanked by Mia Hopkins. We long awaited we are Very not, long. not putting this this onto Mia. Mia is great. 
No, it's also very awaited. Yeah, <laughs> both things. But it's 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 just very awaited. Third book in her series. The first book is Thirsty. There is currently a read along happening. I think still maybe on Twitter. But yes, it is long awaited. It even starts with like the scene that she teased at the end of the second book, and then it's like three years later, <laughs> and then the book starts going. <laughs> so I am very excited about that one. It is already a favorite of the year. And I'm also, because this is me, I cannot just stick to one book at a time, reading Read Between the Lines by Rachel Lacey. And this is a sort of you've got mail shop around the corner style book but with a romance between two women, one of whom owns a bookstore, one of whom is an author who discovers her book in the bookstore. And she finds out that the bookseller, bookstore owner, whatever you want to call it, loves her writing. And I do hear, which is one of the reasons that I decided to keep going, that a lot of the deception type of stuff that will make anyone who doesn't have a nostalgic connection to You've Got Mail kind of worried about the power dynamics in the story. I hear that that gets solved a little earlier. So um, I'm very much looking forward to getting further through that because it's it's already so cute. So cute. Hooray. Uh, Would you like to know what I'm reading? Yes, tell me what you're reading. I'm going to tell you either way, so you should <laughs> feel free to feign enthusiasm if you have to. No, Trisha. Uh, I am, I guess, <laughs> plug your ears. Uh, I am reading, actually, I just finished, but I haven't started a new book yet, so it still counts. I just finished Kiss Hard by Nalini Singh. It is the fourth book in her Hard Play series, which focuses on the Bishop Asera family, In as Nalini Singh is a citizen of New Zealand. So too, do these books take place there? They will definitely make you want to go to New Zealand if you have not been and do not live there. And this is the kind of culmination of the series in that two characters, the brother of the one of the brothers of the, the kind of it's like a series where it's five brothers or four brothers who all have their own books, ends up with his sort of frenemy of the entire series, you see sort of Danny and Katie fighting all along the way while all the other siblings are getting together. They are both athletes. He is a very impressive hotshot rugby player. She is a Paralympian. And they have fought and fought and fought. And then they are sort of thrown together by like, kind of an intense situation. But a lot of this book takes place kind of over the course of like a weekend where they start to realize that their feelings might be something Hmm. that they are not. I love this book. I will say, I think you will enjoy it more if you have read some of the other contemporary romances that Nalini Singh has written. Like I said, the Hard Play series kind of being among them. Uh, There's sort of a crossover with her Rock Kiss series, which I want to say is Kiss, Love Kiss, Rock Hard. I don't, it's like the one book that doesn't show up in either of the like series lists, uh-huh. but it is, oh, Rock Hard. Rock Hard. I, th- I was like, is it Rock Hard? Because I think yes, I read it is. Rock Hard. <laughs> yes, it is. And that one, um, as, a, as a content warning, does have some pretty extreme violence that mostly happens off the page in a past relationship. But last I checked, it was also on sale. So if that is a content warning that does not really apply to you, you might want to check out Rock Hard. It's a good place to start. But 
Kiss Hard is the most recent book, and that is the one that I am reading now, and I recommend it very much. I should also mention, you sparked my recollection with the content warning about Tanked. Tanked is set during the pandemic. There are people getting tested. There are people wearing masks and all of that stuff. So if you prefer your romance to sort of exist in a universe in which the pandemic did not happen, this is not the book for you. But if you're interested, you will love it. Hooray. Hooray. All right. Before we get into it, shall we do uh, an ad spot? Yes, let's. Today's episode is brought to you by Avid Reader Press. So this next book is a really fun sounding mashup of different genres. There's a little time travel, a little romance, a little spy thriller action going on. So in the near future, a civil servant is offered the salary of her dreams and is shortly afterward told what project she'll be working on. A recently established government ministry is gathering quote unquote expats from across history to establish whether time travel is feasible for the body, but also for the fabric of space time. This is an exquisitely original and feverishly fun fusion of genres and ideas. The Ministry of Time by Colleen Bradley asks, what does it mean to defy history when history is living in your house? Colleen Bradley's answer is a blazing, unforgettable testament to what we owe each other in a changing world. It kind of gives Outlander meets Cloud Atlas or If the Time Traveler's Wife was written by Sally Rooney or Colson Whitehead. Make sure to check out The Ministry of Time by Colleen Bradley. And thanks again to Avid Reader Press for sponsoring this episode. Alrighty. So we have a couple of kind of quick news things. We're using the second one to, to jump us off into a more in-depth topic. But Jess, you want to talk a little bit first about Bloom Books? Sure. If you aren't quite as finger, pulse, etc. with the way <laughs> that publishing works, there has been a recent addition to the source books family called Bloom Books. It is the imprint that their first big splash was republishing Fifty Shades of Grey and the Grey series. We talked about it several episodes ago. Yeah, has it been like a year? It's, it's, it, I th- maybe. It's been yeah. a while. And they've been doing some really interesting work. They published a 10th anniversary hardcover version that was, I think, one of our ads last time or the time before. And one thing that they've been doing is building up their catalog by acquiring books that have already been published. They are acquiring self-published books and sort of reprinting, reproducing them, probably doing some editing and stuff and repackaging them. And then they have those authors that they can, they, they have in their stables now. So they announced just today, was it today, that they were going to be publishing L. Kennedy's books in print, Anna Huang's books in print, some, some people, who are pretty familiar if you l- read in certain uh, romance circles. Yeah, I don't think I realized that L. Kennedy wasn't traditionally published. Yeah, I, don't, I didn't either, <laughs> actually. Learn something new every day. Thanks, Bloom Books. Every day. And like, they've and already published uh, Scarlet St. Clair, um, her Hades books. The second one's coming out really soon. I haven't read either, but I have them both because that's how my life is. 
yeah, just a lot of Lauren Asher, <laughs> just all of these people who have already sort of made names for themselves in the self-published sphere so that now they can bring all of their fans to source books and sort of maybe follow Bloom Books more because those readers know that Bloom will publish things that they're interested in. So it's really interesting that they're doing that. And I know that there are some other imprints that are doing it, like the Spanish Love Deception is being republished with Atria, but like that's the only one I can really think of that isn't a source books acquisition. Yeah. I mean it's definitely this is it definitely seems to be the direction they have decided to go. Yeah. Which is interesting. I'm looking forward to seeing what they do with it if they decide to like give new images to these books to bring in a different audience or if they want to like keep a hold of what their audience likes like not like have them if the if they're steamy right like non-explicit books or anything like that but just like if they're like recovering them in different ways or anything like that yeah i wonder too if it'll be now that if they have kind of a traditional publisher behind them, if it'll be a situation where they don't have to do print on demand and might be able to, yeah. whether they're, you know, changing covers or kind of sizes or, or, you know, whatever else they decide to do, it may just be that they're more accessible in a lot of bookstores or libraries or et cetera. Yeah, I know a lot of a lot of these folks might be a lot harder to find for bookstores and libraries who aren't who don't do as much print on demand because like I know some bookstores might not buy things that they can't send back. And um, some libraries don't use the vendors that do print on demand stuff. So that's definitely a good point. I, I should have thought of that being a library person myself, but like, yeah, that, and like if any of their, like we saw with, Oh, Berkeley, Berkeley is the other one that's doing that. Like we saw with, the Ice Planet Barbarians, they have the ability to publish the ebooks of the Ice Planet Barbarian books separately from Ruby Dixon. Her Kindle Unlimited contract, where when she published them, since they're technically different books, like they've been revised and edited. So it's it's like a very weird world now where like if the publisher has has a contract with it they can publish it in ways that the self-published universe doesn't have the ability to do so yeah accessibility is a big thing that can happen out of this yeah which is exciting i mean i think there's obviously you know we've talked a lot about indie authors self-published authors small press all of those things and you know a lot of really good work comes from all of those places but like you said anything that makes a book more accessible is an exciting turn of events Mm-hmm. Uh, and sort of speaking of book covers, etc., <laughs> if you are um, in the romance uh, social media world, the Twitter sphere, etc., you almost certainly saw a pretty significant dust up that happened in the last week or two regarding the cover of a Tessa Bailey book that I actually think is, well, almost certainly is going to be independently published, hence mm-hmm. the fact that she was contracting for the cover art. It's called My Keller Vacation. And there has been kind of some question about the racial representation in the cover. I don't know enough about that to speak to it. So I'm not saying it is not a big deal. I'm not saying it should not be addressed. But because I don't know enough about it, 
I don't really want to speak to that aspect of it, but I will tell you that kind of the main controversy that kicked off some of that discussion is that the cover artist who did the original cover claimed that another book that had basically two people in an embrace on the (laughs) cover, as the My Killer Vacation cover did, had stolen her design. It was bananas. Eventually, she apologized because it was bananas and, like, had basically no basis in fact. She was like, look, they both have tattoos and red. And they're hugging. And, like, that was it. And her hair is floating in the wind. Oh, right. I forgot about the float. Well, yeah, in that case, maybe it was actually a... a, No, I'm just kidding. Um, (laughs) It was bananas all the way around. But the fact that it was bananas has now come and gone. Like we said, there's some other... Or like I said, there's some other sort of complicated stuff going on with that cover. There is a new cover. But the whole kind of discussion and controversy made me realize that as much as we kind of talk about covers and what's happening and what's changing and what they mean, we haven't really ever talked that much about how romance novel covers came to be where they are now. And there is some interesting work that has been done, some interesting writing that has been done about that topic, both on Book Riot, we will link to to those posts, but also Kelly Faircloth, uh, who has written, or had written for a long time for Jezebel, mm-hmm. has done a couple of different deep dives into uh, romance novel covers. So we will link to those as well. But I will ask you just how much, what do you know? How much do you know about kind of, I imagine, given that you are a fountain of knowledge, that you you know <laughs> a significant amount about romance covers, but I could be wrong. Well, you know, like, I, I gotta be honest, a lot of what I know, I learned from people like Kelly and Jessica, and just from like, observation yeah like i have mentioned many times that i started reading romance as a tween but a lot of the books in my house were not published in 1998 like they were older so i have a catalog of clinch covers in my head just from picking up my mother's Johanna Lindsay books and and stuff like that. And then knowing the process of the or the order of those books suddenly turning into uh, pocket books, pocket size, mass market paperbacks with like waterfalls on them and stuff. And then step backs and then... Fifty Shades of Grey. Like that that's mm-hmm. my that's my the order in my brain. Like I'm sure that there's a lot of other stuff that's happened and we can talk about how um romance as a genre evolved into like the widowist era, but we even before that there were just sort of like the painted covers of like a close-up of a nurse and a doctor in the far background and that kind like I can see all of these from like the start of Mills and Boone forward, but I have no idea like designers' names or anything like that because I forget things very easily. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I think there's also a lot to it. And I think like you were sort of saying as the – like in the early 70s or so, these covers were not these clinch covers that we're used to where they're, you know, like heaving bosoms and whatnot. They were – I'm looking at one – 
in one of the Jezebel articles where it's like three faces, a woman and two men that are just kind of floating. And there's an <laughs> airplane and mountains. It's called Miss Nobody from Nowhere. It is very tame. And, you know, one of the things that's pointed out in some of these articles that we talked about are that the books are also the content of the books is fairly tame. Mm-hmm. So it wasn't until, as you said, books like The Flame and the Flower by Kathleen Woodowus were published that all of a sudden the content started to get a little steamier, I would say, uh, mm. maybe a lot steamier. And then you start to see the same thing happen with the covers. And there's a there's an argument that particularly in the 80s, the reason that there are so many heaving bosoms, so many, so many kind of lady parts on display is that it was an attempt to appeal to the people who were stocking shelves, right? Mm. Like the people in stores and shops and etc. They were trying to figure out like, what do these people want to see? And I guess the answer was breasts, <laughs> as much of them as is possible. And as large also as is possible. But that, it, that said, um, but also like severely naked men, right? If you look at like that's tender is a storm. <laughs> yes, uh huh. Yes, tender is the storm is one that is definitely worth looking up. It is not safe for work. <laughs> Do not Google that cover uh, on your on your work laptop. Um, but Joanna Lindsay's "Tender is the Storm" is a classic when it comes to these kinds of discussions. And as soon as you see it, you will know why. (laughs) And actually, Kelly Faircloth points out that the reality is that Romantic Times, the magazine that used to host the conference that you and I attended Mm -hmm. together, I think a couple of times, was kind of the original romance magazine. And all of these covers were also in that magazine. And the audience for that was primarily women, at least as far as Mm. they knew. And so it was, you know, primarily heterosexual women who were not necessarily just drawn to the the breasts being bared or the whatever else. So there's not necessarily true that it was meant to appeal to men. And I think one of the things I'd be interested kind of in what you think about this, as I was looking back at some of these covers, I think part of what makes them look dated is just the fact that they're from 40 or 50 years ago, (laughs) right? Like, the hair was different. The style was different. You know, all of these, even the historical covers are very much influenced by the kind of styling of the time, mm-hmm. which I think, you know, you have a clinch cover now. There's not a ton that's all that different about it. The people are in the same kinds of positions, but they look, well, obviously, maybe there's less skin showing. Some of that is true. But yeah, yeah. But like, yeah, it's not so different. No, I think one of the biggest differences between a 1984 clinch cover and a 2022 clinch cover is just the fact that they had this period where they were painting them. Like they were taking a photo and then mm-hmm. turning it into a painting to look more book covery, I guess. And now we're just, we're just doing the photos. Like, yes, there's illustrated, there are illustrated covers and that could be a similar foil to the painting. But I can't think of any of the covers from that era that don't have that airbrushed feel to them, whether they are actual paintings or just sort of made to look that way in post-production. But like, if you think about Harlequins now, like all of those 
photo perfect covers that we have nowadays and and the way that they're trying to bring that to the illustrations that have been sort of taking over trade paperback and we're sort of getting into more of a portraiture style as opposed to the more artsy style of some of some of the previous eras and when i say eras i mean like every 6 months there's a slight change in the way that cover art is presented but yeah so like the biggest difference is just the the finishing touch and the hair and the styling <laughs> like <laughs> Yeah, and I I wonder too, and this is just a gap in my knowledge, I only know what romance covers look like from the 80s, right? I mean, I'm sure we had books on our shelf. We had many, many books on our shelves when I was a kid. I just, I don't remember kind of what that distinctive look was and how much overlap there would have been in a romance covers style versus a thriller or, Mm. uh, you know, a mystery or a sci-fi novel. You know, I think... They're probably, aside from some of the models and some of the posing and some of that, think just in terms of the style that may have just kind of been what the art at the time looked like. Yeah. I mean, I feel like I have, I well, I don't think I have it anymore because I had it in high school, but I had a copy of like the House of the Seven Gables that had that same kind of like painted faces and there's like somebody looking over their shoulder in this kind of like very... Mills and Boone, Harlequin kind of face. And it's just like, I thought that the House of the Seven Gables was something very different until I actually looked up what it was about. (laughs) (laughs) Thank goodness for the internet at this point. (laughs) Yep. So all of that being said about the past, we've talked about illustrated covers. We've talked about the shift to trade paperback, which I think has has also had an impact on covers. We talked about self-publishing, which has had an impact on covers in that folks often have to kind of use stock photography or or whatever else to find their own covers, including sometimes using the same photographs as someone else who is Mm -hmm. also self-publishing a book. With your, you know, knowledgeable opinion as a reader, an author, a librarian, etc., where do you see covers going next? Because I think you have kind of a better view on this than a lot of us. Well, I feel like there are three different arcs that are happening. Like, I mean, there's always the parallels of what Harlequin is doing versus what Avon is doing versus what the trade publishers are doing versus what self-publishers are doing, etc. But it seems like there are, there are a lot of things that are kind of splitting off where all of the people who are doing mass markets are, are going back to their roots essentially to some really beautiful photography. I'll, I'll split, split off in the other direction. Um, self-publishers are doing this thing where in order to, to stop the, the accidental reproduction of a cover <laughs> into the same thing, they, mm-hmm. they seem to be sort of veering away from stock photography unless they can find something like, exactly what they want like Jackie Lau's books she talks a lot about like digging around trying to find Asian men East Asian men in stock photography because it's Mm -hmm. like so impossible 
But then you see like the spicy talk books that are all like basically Fifty Shades of Grey books. And I think we talked a little bit about this last time where like Katie Roberts books are all like these dark covers with uh-huh. one object on them, but they're yeah. a little they're a little more designed than the twenty the twenty eleven, twenty twelve kind mm-hmm. of imagery of that. And they have their own thing and they're sort of they're related to the same people who are are moving up from YA fantasy into fantasy romance and dark mm-hmm. fantasy and that kind of thing. Like these violent delights isn't actually a fantasy, but it looks just like those. So I don't know what's going on with that. Um, but then there's the possibility that while trade romance is moving into this amazing era of all of these gorgeous, incredibly well-painted, lifelike illustrations, some of them are moving in the same direction as the indies and just putting words on the cover. And I don't know how long that's going to last because Mm -hmm. some of those books are not going to draw me. I'm going to think that they're contemporary fiction and just skip over them because they don't look like romance. But then it's like the soulmate equation. If I didn't know Christina Lauren's name, I wouldn't expect the soulmate equation to be a romance novel. Yeah. Well, it's kind of interesting to think, too, about how far you can go outside of the bounds without losing the identity of the genre. Yeah. Yeah. And you have to be a familiar name, I think, to be able to do that. But there, yeah, there's some, there's some cover changes even from this year that are, are maybe experimental to see how many people outside of romance will pick these books up because they don't look like romance covers, but how many people who read romance won't pick them up because they don't look like romance covers. Yeah. Who's to say? Time will tell. Time will tell. Indeed. And I think, I mean, speaking of uh, covers and what's coming, we're going to talk a little bit about what has been. But before we do that, let us thank another of our sponsors. Today's episode is brought to you by W.W. Norton and Company Incorporated. So Negative Space by Jillian Linden follows a week in the life of an English teacher at a New York private school. At home, her children ask constant questions about mortality and her husband offers occasional counsel between Zoom calls. At school, something happens. She accidentally witnesses an ambiguous, possibly inappropriate interaction between a teacher and a student. But how can she be sure of what she saw? Negative Space is a portrait of a woman caught between the pressures of what's normal and what isn't, and examines what we owe the people who depend on us in a fractured and indifferent world. It's a debut novel and a short novel. It's perfect if you want something quick and easy to carry around, but it's also thought-provoking. It takes place during the pandemic, but it's not pandemic-focused, and it really just looks at everyday anxieties and low-threat situations that have high consequences. So make sure to check out Negative Space by Jillian Linden. And thanks again to W.W. Norton and Company Incorporated for sponsoring this episode. All right, Jess, this one was was your call. Yep. This recommendation segment. Would you like to talk at all about that? Well, we talk a lot about new books coming out. And even looking at the stuff that we're reading right now, it's newer books, books that have come out this year. And sometimes we neglect, I mean, if you saw my shelf and saw how much of my 
TBR pile is books that just kind of got passed over, then it's like there are probably a lot of us like that and probably a lot of romance people who, because there's so many new books coming out all the time, haven't had a chance to dig into books that came out before this year or um, just really missed some really great stuff previously if you might maybe have come into romance later. So um, it's always good to do a bit of a backlist bump, which I think is a term I stole from Liberty. (laughs) (laughs) I like it. All right, what are you bumping from your backlist? Um, Well, one, which is the third book in a series, the first book is the book that I knew the name of when we did the quiz, but I don't remember the name of it now, um, is First Comes Like by Alicia Rye. And it is the third book in her Modern Love series. That starts with The Right Swipe. The Right Swipe. Yes. (laughs) I was like, the pink, first there's the pink Mm -hmm. book, and then there's the teal book, and then there's the yellow book. Uh (laughs) And this one is the yellow book? This is the yellow book, First Comes Like. And it is kind of a crossover book because the main character, Gia, is Sadia's sister from the second Forbidden Hearts book. So we've met her before. And she lives with Rhiannon and uh, Karina, I think is her name, from the first two books in the series. And she is an influencer, like she makes her money with YouTube and it's it's fascinating to just read about her work because like how many like working influencers do we get to read about who are actually like doing work and we get to see like the things that they try to do. Anyway, so um she has been talking online with this Bollywood serial star and discovers that when she goes to meet him, because he is starting a new TV show in Hollywood, and she lives in LA, so she decides to, like, go to a party that she knows he'll be at, to be like, hey, look, it's me, and he's like, I don't know you at all. Awkward. Turns out someone has been using his account to talk to her, and he doesn't know her at all. So that's not a great meeting. No. Like I said, very awkward. Very awkward. So awkward. But then things happen and and they actually decide to fake date for various reasons. So Of course. <laughs> catfishing turned fake dating. How often have you read that story? Um and it's um very sweet and actually less explicit than Alicia Rai has written in the past. So um it's it's just a it's fun and it's cute and my husband was staring at me for the five minutes that I put my book down and laughed my head off at one scene like like I like he was worried for my safety because he wasn't sure if I would be able to breathe I think that's very charming (laughs) but it's it's the whole series is very enjoyable and I'm glad that I finally sat down to read that one Hooray. Speaking kind of of books that I am very glad 
that I sat down to read. When I was thinking backlist, I was thinking of anything that's been out for more than a year. Mm-hmm. And A Lady's Guide to Mischief and Mayhem by Amanda Collins came out in November of 2020. I missed it as uh, I think probably maybe many people did because unfortunately, you know, 2020. Yeah. But I really, really liked this book. I'm always interested in like romantic mysteries, romantic suspense kind of books. I know that there are a lot of them out there. I just kind of, for whatever reason, don't happen upon them that much. <laughs> and I think it was one of our, our Book Riot colleagues that had recommended this one and said that she really liked it. And so I finally picked it up. It's about uh, Lady Catherine Bascom and Detective Inspector Andrew Eversham. It's a historical mystery Andrew Eversham is, they call him, sometimes they call him Andrew, sometimes they call him Eversham, depends. Anyway, he's trying to solve a mystery. It's not going great. Catherine um, is a widow who owns and runs a newspaper. And so she decides to get involved. She's like, somebody needs to get this figured out. She goes invest or interviews a witness that kind of got missed, you know, and publishes it. And so then they arrest somebody in these crimes that have been happening, these Ten Commandments crimes. And everybody's pretty sure, well, at least Catherine and uh, Andrew are both pretty sure it's the wrong guy. So they're mad at each other. It's a whole thing. She goes, to, you know, to get away for a while. She has an old friend. He has a country house. She's like, I'm going to get away from all of this. And unfortunately, she stumbles across another dead body, which not great. No. So then he gets called in to have to try to solve the whole thing. I will say this book moves a little bit slowly. The romance is very much a slow burn. But once you hit like the 60 or 70% mark, you can't put it down. It is, I really liked it. I think it's a, it's interesting because it's sort of an enemies to lovers. And they're almost like enemies, 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 enemies. And then boom, he's like, can I kiss you? And she's like, yes. And then you know, other kinds of uh, affectionate activity continues. But I really liked both the fact, I liked the romance in this book. I thought that the two of them, particularly once they kind of get together, had a really great chemistry. And also I really liked and found the mystery aspect of it very satisfying. I don't want to get too much into it, but it's not like one of those things where 95% of the way through you find out like, it was some guy named Ron. Who we've never heard of. It, like, you are actually kind of enmeshed in in some of what's going on with the mystery itself. So there is a, a fair amount of violence, given that there are like six murders. Uh, <laughs> so heads up on that. But otherwise, I very much enjoyed A Lady's Guide to Mischief and Mayhem. And I will be reading the next book in the series probably as soon as we finish this conversation. <laughs> Speaking of and not putting things down, there is this book that I have read in like two and a half sittings. I literally screamed when I realized what time it was because I'm almost done, but I keep having to put it down to do things like sleep and go to work and who does these things. But it is the second book in Olivia Dade's ongoing series. And I'm considering this backlist because it didn't come out this year and it feels like it's been out forever because I technically started reading this about a year ago and then stopped because it was like, it's too soon. I cannot read this months ahead of its release. I'll be destitute when it's over. And then I bought a hard copy and I let it wander around my house with me and I just didn't read it. And I don't know why, because it's fabulous and fantastic. And that book is All the Feels by Olivia Dade, the second book in her 
series that I it has a name, but I don't remember the name of it. Um, but the first book is Spoiler Alert. I did not think I could love a book more than I loved Spoiler Alert and Spoiler Alert. I do. Oh, well played. It's not even over yet. There can <laughs> there can be something that happens in the last 25 pages that like destroys me, maybe, but I doubt it. Book is fantastic and gives me all the feels and I love both of these characters and would both kill and die for them and it's funny and enjoyable and feelsy and it's just it's really good and spoiler alert is also really good so definitely read that one um but this one a has the element of not having somebody keeping a big secret from someone for most of the book. And B, (laughs) um, while both people are certainly shaped by their life of um, trauma, it doesn't quite sit as heavily as it does in Marcus from Spoiler Alert. And also, Alex loves tropes. Like, I once again, laughed hysterically for several minutes when he was like, only one bed. That's my second favorite trope. And then I found (laughs) out that he, his favorite trope is also my favorite trope. So Alexander (gasps) Woodrow has, has my heart and soul, but also Lauren has the rest of me. I don't know. Um, They're, they're great people. Everyone in this universe is great people, except the people that aren't great people. So if you have not yet read, spoiler alert, pick that up. Get a hard copy if you like print books, because it's just gorgeous. And then get a hard copy of All the Feels, and then pre-order Shipwrecked, because I'm sure it is just as amazing. I don't think anything can get better than this, but Olivia Dade's two for two so far, so... Also, spoiler alert, the series is called Spoiler Alert. Oh, okay. Maybe that's why I couldn't think of the name of it, because all I could think of was Spoiler Alert. Mm-hmm. And it was like, no, it has a name, but apparently Spoiler Alert. Spoiler Alert. Okay. Boom. Uh, I When I was talking and thinking about backlist books, I was trying to think of books that I, for whatever reason, had just kind of like read either in one sitting or in one weekend or kind of all at once and one that jumped to mind was waiting for the flood by alexis hall i think i may have talked about this book like once before i i don't think we've talked about it a lot we have talked about alexis hall a lot but this is a it's like 100 pages it's a novella it's this lovely little story takes place in in england as many of alexis hall's books do because he is english (laughs) it's about a man who has just gotten out of a very, well, not even just, a couple of years ago has gotten out of a long-term relationship, but has never really gotten over it. He lives in the house that he used to share with his partner. He kind of got dumped. Like, it's a rough time. He's Mm. having a really hard time getting over it. And in an instance of some really bad flooding happening in his neighborhood, he meets a person named Adam from the Environment Agency who is coming to help kind of protect the neighborhood from the flooding. He He's just like... As Alexis Hall is great at this. Adam is just like very nice and very kind and is just kind of very willing to see the best in people. And he sees the best in Edwin, who is the, the guy trying to get over this this old relationship. And this is a, a, a book that takes place really over the course of, I want to say like a week, 
maybe two at the most. Uh, And it's just a story of kind of two people very gently and slowly hitting it off. And one person who is kind of really heartbroken, starting to potentially like, and kind of the, the, you know, the nature of spring, like kind of peek his head out, you know, from, from the, from the darkness and see (laughs) maybe some hope and potential. And it's just a, like I said, it's a hundred pages. You could read it in an afternoon, probably in like a small part of an afternoon. And it's just, it has kind of that feelsy nature of the Alexis Hall books, but it will leave you just feeling very good about the world. So that is Waiting for the Flood by Alexis Hall. Oh, I want to feel good about the world. Right? (sighs) What do you think? You want to do one more? I will mention one more just as a a literal bump of her backlist because uh, the fourth book in this series is coming out soon or maybe it's out now. I don't know. But if you want some multiracial Regency romance that is very well researched because the author is an incredibly brilliant scholarly human and you want three or four books in this world you want to check out a duke the lady and a baby i got the articles correctly this time good job uh by vanessa riley it's the yellow one the yellow one is first and then the pink one and so no Mm -hmm. and this the first one involves a woman who she's west indian and she's an heiress and she married into an aristocratic family in england and her husband dies by suicide before the events of the story. So um, just so you know, there's there's talk of it a lot in the book. And her son is actually taken by a family member. And she is like, basically left destitute. So when we meet her, she just wants her son back. And she happens to try, she happens to sneak into the house where her son is being held by the family member who's a drunken lech at the same time that a different family member of her husband has basically stormed the castle to save his ward and unseat this cousin. So she's in disguise when they meet. She's disguised as a footman and he is a wounded warrior. He uses a cane. He um, has... Uh, limitations in his extremities, etc, etc. So they are both basically after the same goal. But of course, she can't tell him that dressed as a footman. (laughs) So eventually, she becomes a wet nurse in the house and all of this stuff. And there's a lot, there's a lot of serious stuff. This isn't quite the romp that a lady's guide might have been um, and definitely... It was a romp. It was a violent romp, but it was, yeah. And definitely not what Bridgerton is. But if you want a book by a Black author featuring characters originally written as people of color, I would definitely check out A Duke the Lady and A Baby and the subsequent books by Vanessa Riley. I think I'm going to hold my third book because... It has given me an idea of uh, some books that we might talk about. I have I have an idea of a theme Ooh. that we might have that we might want to use in May. I'm not going to tell I'm not going to tell anyone, but you might be able to guess just knowing what the book is that I'm not mentioning. That's called 
teasing the next episode Ooh. called a little foreshadowing for all of you. We will see. And if, and if we end up not using that theme, I'll tell you anyway, because that would be very frustrating. Um, <laughs> Uh, but like I said, that's a little foreshadow. We, we hope you will come back to to join us again. A huge thanks, as always, to our wonderful audio editor, Jen Zink, uh, who I don't think had to add, edit out any train noise this time. I don't know. I say that and I'm sure a train is about to, to go by. If you have a chance, please do consider rating and reviewing this podcast. And you can find us on email and social media. Jess, where can people find you on email and social media? You can always email us at womeninromance at bookriot.com. We'd love seeing emails from people who are not trying to get us to read a book that they're publicizing. Um, we also love publicists. If you're listening to this and you're a publicist, <laughs> we love you. But we especially love hearing from listeners who are not pushing books at us. And you can also find me on Twitter at Jess is reading all one word on Instagram at Jess underscore is underscore reading and on TikTok at Jess underscore is reading. I think that's right. And you can find me at Trisha Haley Brown, mostly on Instagram. As also as a reminder, you heard at the very top of this episode about a survey that we are doing. Please do go to bookriot.com slash listener survey to just let us know a little bit about what kind of podcast content you are into. Bonus, if you fill out the survey, you'll be entered to win a $50 gift card to the indie bookstore of your choice. Uh, so once again, we want to hear from you in, in as many ways as possible. And I think that's uh, I think that's it for this this first episode of May. Yes. Happy May, everyone, and happy reading. 